This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Today's amazing Fail Fast interview is sponsored by ClickFunnels. Whatever your goal is, if it's to generate leads, sell products, send more emails, run webinars, ClickFunnels can give you everything you need to market, sell, and deliver your products or services online. All of this without having to hire or rely on a tech team. So if you want to try it for two weeks, 100% for free, go to failfastpodcast.com forward slash click. That's it. I'll say it again. The link is failfastpodcast.com forward slash click. Welcome everyone. Today we have a very special guest who's the creative director, author, filmmaker, and agency partner partner at Vitals Agency. He's also the producer and co-host of The Fizzle Show. Welcome everyone. Aiden Fishbein. How's it going, Aiden? It's pretty good, man. Nice to be here. Very good. Aiden, did I pronounce Fishbein correctly? You did. You did. You nailed All right. it. Perfect. So uh, I kind of gave everybody a little quick introduction to you and um, tell us basically who you are and what's your story as as a person. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's a long one as as most stories typically are for people. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely an all over the place kind of guy. I have a lot of passions. Um, obviously, my titles uh, kind of gave you a little hint that. I, I have many different things that I enjoy. I do many different things for clients um, at my agency. Um, and as a result, you know, I've had to learn a lot of things, which makes me um, qualified, I guess, to, to kind of help other people build their businesses. Um, so that's kind of how I give back to the entrepreneurial community um, is sharing that stuff with, with people on The Fizzle Show. But yeah, like that's my life story is kind of being very interested in lots of different things, not knowing exactly what to focus on, dabbling here, dabbling there, and also back and forth between like technical and creative stuff, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't like just always artistic filmmaking, writing, stuff like that. It's always been very technical too. I was drawn to math and chess and strategy and all that. So um, yeah, no, that, that was, uh, that was the kid thing. And there's a lot in the middle that is, is probably just more of the same. And um, when I started realizing that I needed to earn a living, um, those were the first kinds of things that I dipped my toe back into. And it just so happened that, yeah, I could, I could actually scrounge some, some sense together, um, doing some creative stuff. Um, marketing started entering the picture and you could do some creative marketing and strategic branding. And um, yeah, long story short, worked for some people, some creative professionals. Some of them were out of their minds. Some of them were brilliant. <laughs> um, some of them were out of their minds and brilliant. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, learning from those people, sticking close to those people, and and eventually starting to freelance on my own and and uh, build built a business with a partner. So, um, yeah, that's that's actually the shortest little nutshell story I've ever given. There so I'll have, to, I'll have to re-listen to this episode <laughs> so you can do it again. <laughs> you know, I don't know if uh, if you ever search yourself on Google, but... Um, All day, every day. Oh, do you really? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> it, it's been a little while. Maybe I should okay. do it soon. <laughs> but uh, when, when you do search, it shows up um, on one of them. I, somewhere in the first page, uh, no, it says, known for movie Nightmare Alley. So, oh, man. <laughs> 
And so that's a movie, a 2010 movie. What did you do there? That's uh, that's a that's kind of a hilarious story. So Nightmare Alley uh, was one of many really really awful horror movies that I was making back in like right. yeah the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I there was some of the most fun creative projects that I've ever done. Um, also uh, for me, you know, it was all free. Everything was free. Um, all the actors were were unpaid actors. But at one point in time, we had um. I think it was in Nightmare Alley. One of the, they're all kind of like horror shorts. They're like five, six minute videos. Um, we had Alice Cooper's daughter, Calico Cooper. Um, yeah. we, we, got to, we got to hook her up with some, some blood squirting uh, machine <laughs> and cut her throat in some alley here in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> um, but it's so funny. So, so that, is, um, that is technically my, uh, my one and only IMDb entry, right? Because you found that on IMDb? Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is extra special. And in that movie, I was, um, I did a bunch of things. Like I was just saying, you know, I, I was a production assistant. This was early in my, my kind of filmmaking career, but I was a production assistant. I was an editor. I cut the trailer. I'll try and find a, a link to the trailer for Nightmare Alley for you after yeah. this. And then I was also an extra, you know, I, I got stabbed in the neck myself by Jack the Ripper. Um, so <laughs> that was really fun too. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you go like from that into um, your agency owner, successful agency owner now? You're also uh, one of the hosts at the Fizzle Show. How did you get into the Fizzle Show? So it's kind of an interesting thing. I haven't, I haven't had anybody dig into Nightmare Alley as as a springboard in any recent interview, but it's actually kind of perfect because that was a, a creative endeavor, right? It was it was free. I was just doing it because it was fun. I was with cool people. And a lot of these people I was working with at this really, really awful call center. So we all worked in this telemarketing phone room during the day. And on the weekends we would write these awful scripts and shoot these awful movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so so what that did, it was this really weird microcosm in 2008 and 2009 for me where I was developing pretty hardcore sales skills too, right? So I was developing like all that high pressure, many, many rejections over and over and over, low close ratio sales skill, right? Um, in the phone room and honing creative craft at the same time. And it was just a matter of time before those things started to marry each other. Um, and they started naturally doing that at first. Um, I, you know, got a little bit of a reputation as somebody that could do these creative things and having gotten comfortable selling, I was now comfortable asking for money uh, from people that wanted creative stuff, not just home-based businesses. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So, so that started happening. And, you know, I think, I think maybe this is a, a pretty common trajectory for most people. You start, realizing you have a passion you do some of it for free some people start noticing what you've been doing and then and then you're like okay maybe i can actually take this place and you start to learn or you start to look for places to learn right mm-hmm. um and so for me what was really conducive uh cuz i was like riding my bike to work um was podcasts right um i didn't have time to read books i wasn't in school um and I, I didn't know about coaches and mentors and stuff. So podcasts, like putting headphones in and riding my bike half an hour each direction to, to work was how I like started learning. Um, and if you've listened to the Vizzle Show, uh, it is an incredibly addictive 
way to get business information. It is mm-hmm. maybe the silliest, most lighthearted, but still super robust, actionable insight from, from guys that have, that have done this, that, that have proven track records um, and good variety. You've got Crazy Chase, you've got Lean Analytical Corbett. At the time, they had uh, Caleb and Barrett and also Steph. Um, and all these people brought these really interesting perspectives, all super seasoned, but all super personable. Um, and I loved it, man. I love that podcast. And that was like me just listening, doing the things that, that they said to do. Uh, a lot of times things in my life were, um, syncing up with podcast topics. So I got like, kind of like, Oh, the universe is, is totally pointing me in the right direction here. Um, but that was that was the beginning. I was a long, long, long time podcast listener before I started paying Fizzle for their for their uh, for their product, which is thirty five dollars a month for a membership that accesses all the courses they've ever made, a community of of entrepreneurs that are also doing the same thing that won't let you quit. They're doing it alongside you that you can rely on and connect with and help hold accountable. Um, and like webinars and live coaching, like this is a, a crazy value for thirty five bucks, right? So. Finally, I justified after years of listening to the podcast to like dip my toe in the paid program, right? Which I tried for free. There were like a five week free trial. So um, after the five weeks were up, I was like, totally, I'm, I'm totally in. Um, and then fast forward another couple of years, like what they taught me in their courses happened to work. I built my business. Um, and then when they had an op- opening for uh, for kind of a giving back community based content thing, I was like, you know, I'd love, I'd love to get involved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now a case study too, so it was kind of a cool, a cool, um, you know, perfect world scenario where they needed an opening, um, and uh, and I just like, you know, obviously swallowed bait and tackle their message and and followed their footsteps, and it worked, and and you know. Um, I've learned my own lessons in the creative world. So that's kind of a, that, that's a, that, that's the story right there. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah. You know, you mentioned there that how the fizzle show is kind of addicting, how you can learn about business stuff in a fun way. Yeah. And I, I can really vouch that how true that is because I went there. To, <laughs> yeah. Your episode. <laughs> I went there to listen to, uh, to an episode and in particular, I wanted to know what the intro would look like with sound or what it, what it would sound like with music. Sorry. Right. Uh-huh. And, and I heard it and I'm like, this is so, so cool. I was like, I wanted to change my intro immediately. And, uh, right. you know, I host two podcasts. So I'm like, I got to change my intro, man. I got to do something so exciting uh, that gets me wanting to hear more. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, but although I can't just change now just like that because people get used to hearing one kind of personality and all they want. Be gentle I, with change, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, what, what ha- ended up happening was I subscribed and I have now close to 17 hours of listen time of the Fizzle Show. Because yeah. <laughs> cool. So there you go. That's funny, man. So, so did you... So you hadn't listened to any Fizzle show before you got on the on on our podcast where we interviewed you, and you got to hear Chase without music, just going crazy, right? Yes, that was and the then, part. Yeah, got you. And then you heard the music, <laughs> so um, that's that's weird. I'm sure that was just a bizarre experience for you. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it was. But I mean, it was so cool that I'm still tempted to <laughs> to, to do a bit a bit of changes on, yeah. on the my intro, right? 
Iterations, man. Yeah, it's always good. Always good to develop. Very good. So as as a creative person, because we already saw that, right? Uh, it's very easy to see how you got into agency because I, in my personal opinion, you need to be super creative and love being creative to, to run an agency. And sure. so that was kind of a perfect fit for you. And it is, it is working out obviously for you. Yeah. And it's, um, oddly enough, I mean, it, like you said, it's easy. It's really easy to see, you know, an artist, like a kid that likes to draw and make pictures growing up to be a graphic designer, or, or it's easy to see somebody like that finding themselves in my position. But what's extra special is that, like I said, I'm not just creative. I, I really do have a analytical and an operations oriented mindset. So it was even more perfect, right? So I've got this, I can be organized, operational, and strategic inside of a business that provides creative services, right? So um, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful combination. Yes, yeah. So the analytical part is something that I wasn't originally, and I had to train myself. Yeah, most people have to do that, yeah. Because it's not, it doesn't come easy, and it's very, very needed, right? Absolutely. And a lot of times what, what I geek out about a lot is the relationships between founders, right? So um, I was on another podcast recently uh, with a fizzler, Tom Ross, um, on his show, The Honest Designers Show. And I was given a lot of credit to this other platform uh, of entrepreneurial education. It's called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Um, I forget the guy's name, but uh, they write books and they have courses and templates and stuff. Um, but they've, they've kind of come up with, and they're not the first ones to do this, but they've come up with what they believe to be a really incredible partnership structure, right? So it's between somebody who is a visionary mm -hmm. and somebody who is an integrator, which is kind of like the analytical person. So um, what's more important than, than the fact that they've discovered this and, and figured out how to diagnose you as one or the other is the case studies that they, that they do. So if we look at Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, one had the idea, one was the executor. Um, same thing with like Walt Disney and Roy Disney. Nobody knows about Roy Disney, his brother. Um, but Roy Disney was like the money man. He was the genius behind the licensing and the franchising and the merchandise, right? Mm -hmm. Walt Disney just wanted to make pictures. And he, he, had, he was a genius. He knew he revolutionized the animation um, system. But he was awful with money. He had like almost all of his money when he died under his mattress, right? Hmm. Um, and Roy Disney was the business mastermind behind it. And, and as a result, many of these relationships, they're, they're incredible. So they're rocket fuel in the sense that they get these rocket ships like up into orbit, right? But as you can imagine, these are very, very different kinds of people. So just like rocket fuel, it's highly combustible, right? Yeah. So you might explode you probably will explode at some point. Hopefully it's after liftoff, you know, um, Steve jobs and, and Steve Wozniak, uh, famously had a falling out, you know, and, um, but it was after they had, they had like made some amazing, amazing equipment and built a, a you know, what I think what is the first trillion dollar company was Apple. Yeah, yes, it was. Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, there's that. <laughs> so as soon as it, at least the rocket ship blew up later, <laughs> but it still blew up, you know, cause people, Analytical people and creative people are very different. Um, they can help each other out a lot, but um, you know, it's it's a delicate, delicate relationship. Are they also? This is probably just it could be a misconception, but it's my idea that creative people are a bit all over the place, right? Sure. So, 
fair uh, assessment. Kind of like oh, squirrel, and you know, I want to do this, I want to do that, and just be creating things. So you have to work with them. How hard is that? So it's a great question. That that was what my prior to having my own agency. That was what my careers were kind of like defined as. As I was, so being creative was kind of like took played second fiddle to my analytical stuff. So I would always kind of get, I'd get sought out and I'd, I was attractive to these crazy creative people, the very, very distractible kinds of guys, you know? Um, and I think it's a fair assessment. It's definitely not, we shouldn't stereotype it, stereotype it completely with the distractible people. Plenty of these creatives had successful businesses, obviously before I came along. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that, yeah, that's the truth. You know, it's, that was a push and pull kind of thing. I came into situations with creatives that couldn't stay focused and helped them stay focused. Um, they would push back and I would, I would help them and they would also help me be more risky, right? Be more atmospheric in my thinking. Cause I'm very risk averse. I'm very conservative with my um, stuff and I could afford to be a little bit more distractible and creative. You know what I mean? So see, I had a lot of those relationships. Yeah. So being a little bit conservative, does that mean that you don't take too many big risks so you don't have many failures? That's, uh, that's a good question. I think the, the quick answer is yes. The longer, more complex answer that I tell myself is that, um, is that I put in what I believe to be a healthy and responsible amount of research and planning, um, and that helps me mitigate failure. I will be the first one to tell you, though, that there are more risks that I could be taking. I could do I could do well to be pushed further outside of my comfort zone because the truth is, I built my agency without missing a paycheck. All my my three partners at the time, my two other partners, we built this company and didn't take paychecks until we could. We all transitioned out of our other jobs into the business at the same time, and we had structured it in such a way where we didn't have to do that. And and two and a half years later we still have not gone without a paycheck. Now, we've also not grown at lightning speeds that you see some other companies grow at, right? So yeah. it's always a trade-off. And um, I think, yeah, I think that generally if you, did, if you did look from an outside perspective, which I try to do myself, and it's always good to have people around you that can tell you when you're being stupid and crazy, right? Yeah, um, yeah. My stupid and crazy is just me and my best thinking. I, I'll give it a lot of credit. I'll think it's the only right answer. So. Um, as a result of that, I think I've gained a little bit more perspective on the fact that, man, it's time to take another leap, man. There's a springboard. I can, I can hop on it and see how high I go. Maybe I'll hit the ground. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll hurt myself a little bit. But the truth is there are more safety nets for me put in place that I, that I will never have to use. So I might as well use some, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I think, um, I think yes, the, the process of calculating risk is super good. But you're never going to be able to be certain. You know, you're never going to say, before I take this leap, I know exactly how I'm going to land. I know I will make the jump. Fill in the blank. You yeah. know, um, there's always going to be uncertainty. And at some point, you're just going to have to leap. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you knew how you were going to land and where you were going to land, it would, there would be nothing exciting about that. Right. And wouldn't everybody be doing it? Yes. Yeah. True enough. So we were earlier, we were talking about how you ha- you were having a bunch of failures before, mm. but you were not learning from them. And now, and now you actually are learning 
from documenting your wins as well, right? Right. Can you explain that to us. Yeah. So I've always been. Many aspects of my life have been have had a process, like a reflective process. So like a like a stepping outside or astro projecting, if you will, or or just looking at your thoughts. Very meta. So looking at um, how how did I feel yesterday? Right. Journaling is an example. Uh, meditation is an example. And in the business world, um, there are these things that that I've always been a fan of called postmortems or project retrospectives. And very simply, they're just when you finish something, a project, um, or a relationship with a client or a product, right? A launch. You just take some time afterwards to look back and see, how did it go? Did it go good? Did it not go good? If it didn't go good, what could we have changed? And what should we do next time, right? And so those are the very fundamental questions. But out of those questions, you can ask a thousand other questions, depending on your specific industry. You know, if it's a client relationship, did all decision makers make the planning meeting? Was there a planning meeting, right? Um, were the feedback given? So anyway, we didn't have any of those things in place in the beginning, right? And the worst thing in the world, even worse than making a thousand mistakes and then making another mistake, the same mistake you've always made and being like, why can't I learn from this mistake? Because you haven't examined it. What's worse than that is finally hitting a home run, right? And being like, oh, that was amazing. Yeah. How do I do it again? <laughs> what? How do, where do we start? <laughs> you know, um, especially because if you're going from flop to win, from flop to win, which is pretty typical, you know, you try something it doesn't work, you try something it does work, and you have to start another project without faith that it's going to be one way or another. Um, it's a hard thing to do. It's it's hard to sustain excitement, emotion, and your energy level if if it's always a coin flip, whether or not this next thing you're going to try is, is going to be good. And like what we were just talking about, you'll never be able to guarantee success, but it's just like any scientific experiment. You have enough successes. And if you're documenting them, you start noticing consistencies. You start noticing things that every time you have a, a project that, that does well, it's because X, Y, and Z were part of process A, B, and C, Right. And you take those things and the next time you start a project, you say, okay, the most important thing to do is make sure that we get everybody on the same page before any money exchanges hands, right? Or make sure that we have a good regular update protocol in place for us to give um, rounds of revision to clients and for them to give us feedback, you know? Um, those are real examples that in the beginning, we didn't think they were important. We didn't even know that those things were needed. And now they're part of a booklet and a worksheet that we use every time we finish a project that has all these questions for us. So we don't have to remember the questions even, right? So we just go through this list, we assess the project. And if it was a win, we put that in the win bank so that we can look at it next time we start a project. You know what? I really love that because the opposite is something I do, right? Mm -hmm. If something fails, I make sure it gets documented and let's not do this again because unfortunately I have done that before. And the one thing I hated the most was repeating failures. Doing Making the same mistake twice. Exactly. Yeah. That was like, why did I have to learn that same lesson again? That was painful. Yeah, it's painful. But, <laughs> exactly. But the documenting the wins, like that's such a, a great thing because when you're winning, you're not thinking of like 
uh, let me write this down, how it was done, right. all that stuff. Pain is, it makes it really easy to, to focus on it. But when you're, you know, exuberant and experiencing joy, the last thing you want to do is, is sit down and spend a 30 minutes with a journal, you know, <laughs> you don't yeah. want to do that. You want to party, you want to go <laughs> celebrate. Yep. So that means you have a ton of systems in place. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. And uh, these systems, do you write them yourself when you're on that spot? Do you have VA to do that or how, how does that process work? It's a good question. So specifically with the postmortem, um, we, I think, have three different kinds of postmortem. And it's just a list of questions. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's something that um, we do in a Google Doc, me and my partner. And um, at the end of a, of a client relationship, for example, we'll do a, um, a client postmortem, very, very specific about the relationship. So all the questions will be about communication and feedback and did they like our work? Was it top quality? Were the QC and quality control rounds in place or were we shipping subpar design, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll do all sorts of stuff like that. We'll do that independently. So we'll just kind of say, okay, the project's done in the next week. You do yours, I'll do mine, and we'll find a time to talk uh, about our answers together, right? Okay. And then what's, what's cool is at the end of that, because um, we'll be, before we, we share our answers, we'll make very sure that like, okay, this is not a place to be critical of one another. We are going to be ascertaining weaknesses in you so it's very it's very difficult not to just point the finger. You have to look at yourself and, and analyze your mistakes, but you also have to very kindly and assertively express where you think, if there's anybody else involved in this project, where you think they may have made a mistake without demonizing them, right? Yeah. So that's a really important consideration. And then at the end, you kind of powwow and you you, you kind of ha- make a commitment to each other, you know? And, and ours is along the lines of, you know, I, I commit myself to, my team members and, and partners from uh, past, present, and future. You know, um, when we are aligned, there's little that that can stop us. So we like sign that. It's kind of a little ritual that we do, um, and that's just one example. And the same kind of process follows for independent projects. So we'll make an info product, for example, and we'll have questions related to that project that we go through, and we do the same thing. He does his, I do mine. We do it together. Um, and then finally, we do kind of like a quarterly one where it's just kind of a 50,000 foot view of where are we now? What about our short term goals? Are we hitting those? What about the medium ones and long term ones? Um, and so, yeah, these these kinds of questions asked about, uh, you know, recent hi- periods of history um, can be applied to any area. So you and your partner, you guys were friends before this or was this a partnership that happened just due to the business? That's uh, an interesting situation. We used to have another partner. So it used to be three of us. Mm-hmm. I was good friends with this guy and I worked for him a couple different times in, in the past. He worked for me a couple different times in the past. He had known Mo, right? Um, who's my current partner. And they had been part of a mastermind group together. They had decided that they were going to start a business. And I had joined them on a trip to New York for a workshop that was to be the beginning of the business. And I'd impressed Mo enough. I just met him for the first time, uh, Mauricio, who you were going to connect with, Quinn. Um, And he was like, why don't you be the third partner, right? And so, so that made a lot of sense. You know, I, I had this, um, the way the relationship was, was kind of built at that point was um, Aaron, our third partner was very, very creative. 
um, Mo was a very, very technically savvy. He's a, he's a SaaS guy. He built uh, software in the, in the past. He's a code matrix reading data dealer. Um, and then I was in the middle, right? I was the, I was the analytical guy that was creative. I could speak both languages and I could communicate. I could like translate the language of these two guys to each other. Um, so, so that was pretty cool. Um, so that's how I met Mo. Um, then when Aaron left the company, there were, there were, it was a kind of an interesting thing. Obviously Mo and I have become friends, but I think because we didn't begin as friends, I don't know how I can recommend this to people, but I think it's a, it's a really good way to build a business relationship because I've seen a lot of business relationships that started as friendships mm-hmm. have these strange dynamics that are often very hard to deal with and often lead to the business failing, right? Um, or the relationship dying or both. So um, it's hard to prevent that. I also know that it's one of the most rewarding things in the world to make some money with a buddy. Um, so it's, it's interesting, but yeah, Mo was not a friend. I met him and we were partners and um, we've got a really stable relationship that's predicated on business um, and then the friendship next, you know? Yep. So um, it, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a, it's an interesting thing that's evolved between he and I. Yeah, it does. I was actually trying to find out if, if it would be maybe the best thing would be to have a business partnership when you were not previously friends because that could interfere when, when you know somebody as a friend, you may not want to, you may look at that as a friendship partnership instead of a right. business partnership. It so. makes certain, yeah, it, it makes certain conversations hard. Money is the great exacerbator, as I like to say. Um, it makes everything difficult. Um, it, it complicates family relations. It complicates friendships. It complicates marriages. Um, it complicates country um, international relationships. Um, money is, is delicate. It is also something that obviously builds things too, right? Um, it builds relationships quite well. Um, and if things are going well, there's little that, that money will do to, to hurt that, you know, money is nothing but fuel to the, to the success fire, but yeah, it, it does. It adds another dimension, I guess is the point. And, and I think it's a really, it's a really appropriate comparison to say, um, a business, relationship with a friend is very similar to marriage. I'm no expert. I've been married for a year, um, but I'm already, you know, psychoanalyzing everything as I do. And, um, and it, it's um, the prerequisite is that both parties have to be committed equally to work because it is work. It is perpetual progress. And when resentment starts to brew, it's usually because there's a one party that's not doing, uh, that's not pulling the weight that the other party thinks they should. Right. So, um, maintaining that perspective is also delicate because we're delusional humans. Um, but, uh, but if you can manage to prove that everybody's working hard and, and the, the goals are all aligned, um, the beautiful things will happen both in marriage and in business with friends, I think. Absolutely. There's a, uh, there's a guy that, that I follow that I don't know as a podcaster, you probably know. He was the host of The Art of Charm. Oh, I'm not familiar. His name is Jordan Arbinger. He has the Jordan Arbinger show now. Um, the one thing that may cause the, those kinds of bitterness between partners could be expectations that you create in your mind. Sure. And mm-hmm. then you don't share that expectation with that person. So now you're expecting something that they have no clue you are expecting. Right. So That's a great that, point. Yeah. yeah. And thanks to that, I share that kind of with, with my partners that I have as well in other business and 
so we decided that if there's any kind of expectations, let everybody know. Write it down. If there's any kind of resentment, anything that one did wrong, the first thing we do is let it out. So right. nothing that builds up. And that's that's kind of a great feeling because we can uh, we can actually you get to the point where super close that you can you know when you're so close to somebody that you can insult them as a compliment. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of how we do it. It's that's really important that you bring up, and I, I think that might be one of the reasons why, um, all things considered, when we when we did lose Aaron um, and our third partner, it was it was pretty amicable. Um, we had a pretty robust operating agreement in place in the beginning, right? Um, and we didn't let, and it, this is kind of what I see happen when friends go into business, they say, oh, we don't need an operating agreement. Everything's always going to be fine. Right. Yes. Um, we'll always be able to, you know, tell each other stuff. We'll always be able to, to communicate. And the truth is it's hard when things actually start going bad. People are, uh, what is it? Um, uh, not, they don't like confronting. They're non-confrontational. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so especially when things are going bad, everything is easy to talk about when things are going good. So this operating agreement set the expectations, right? Um, and made it very clear that when expectations weren't being met, nobody could be confused about it, right? And then, you know, part of that postmortem process is very communicative. You know, we are airing our dirty laundry on a regular basis yeah. because, you know, bad news always travels slower than good news. Um, and so holding that in, like you were saying, is cancer. Yeah, yes, it is. So I want to ask you something about the agency, but before I do that, I want to bring up something that I was going to I was going to mention at the beginning of the show for those that are watching the video edition is the fact that Aiden is inside a closet. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, Physically, not metaphorically. <laughs> yes. Yes, actually literally in the closet and and the reason why is because it's the place that has best soundproofing. Oh yeah. That's correct. And and honestly, just to give you a little bit more information like my wife is it was an audio engineer, so she is she's a pro man. Um, and whenever we move somewhere, it always takes us the longest to finally set up a studio. So we just moved back from Portland to Arizona, and obviously this is not this is not what our studio looks like, right? But the the rule of thumb as a filmmaker um, is people will always forgive bad video if the audio is good. But if you've got the best video in the world and the audio is bad, for some reason, people just cannot forgive it. So if you're going to skew one way or another, go for the audio. And that's what I'm doing. Um, and the truth is, these coats are beautiful. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, we've got, we've got mink, we've got fox, some real, sorry, uh, some not. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, and then we've got the comforter. We've got everything possible that could possibly dampen sound is in this room. <laughs> <laughs> by accident so we decided to use it at least temporarily yeah there you go yep. i actually bought a kit from amazon that is kind of like a, a portable studio so when when i travel and i go and i'm podcast from the hotel sure you can put a microphone inside this foam booth it's like i don't know like a foot by one by one foot and you put the microphone inside and it's just as if Beautiful. you have your portable studio, so I can use now, that. Yeah, no, that's great. And and for those of you that, that can't afford the portable studio or would rather not buy it, um, some of the most amazing audio quality I have, uh, I have produced has been simply with the onboard microphone of a MacBook 
and a heavy blanket over your head. So if you sit on a bed in a hotel room with a heavy blanket over your head and the computer, you'll sound like, I mean, there's no reverb in there. That is the deadest, most clean audio you'll, you'll get. It'll block out New York city fire trucks. Um, so, (laughs) yeah. um, yeah. Or you can get that phone booth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then while the booth was, uh, it's like a portable hundred dollar booth on Amazon. Oh, cool. I'll have to check this out. Yeah. It's, it's not much. Mm -hmm. So back to the agency, what exactly do you, do you do? Uh, is it only marketing? It's a good question. Um, just like everything I've talked about so far, it's a little bit of everything. It probably shouldn't be. I philosophically am a big believer in niching, but in actual practice, I found it very difficult <laughs> to do that. And I think that's a lot of people's story, yes. right? Um, is that, you know, you see the value in being very, very focused in your product, in your target market, in your ideal user. But when it comes to it, you know, um, there's people always asking us for software. There's people always asking us for video production, um, graphic design, branding, strategy, copywriting, content writing, and then also, you know, funnel buildouts, landing pages, pay-per-click advertising, Facebook. We do a lot of it. With these postmortems, though, have in the last couple of years have been pretty good in starting to whittle down. Um, so we don't do a lot of web builds anymore. We do app development, but it's very different than web builds. We've, we've determined that there are too many variables. Um, the communication is never, has never been perfect. Um, I'm sure there's other people that have perfected this process, but um, the time and energy that it would take to continue perfecting it would be, um, would be difficult and would, would not be worth it because we've already identified at least a handful of other products that have clear ROI where we can see from the beginning to the end in the light at the end of the tunnel before the project starts. And we know how much expense is coming and we know how much profit is coming. And, um, you know, we've got a long ways to go to, till we find literally the, the, the Holy grail product, um, that we want to dump all of our eggs into as far as that basket. I do believe in that, but, uh, it's, like I said, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Um, it's a hard thing to justify and also your reputation that you've set doing amazing works in the past on your portfolio um, continue to attract people in this world where no data ever gets removed from the internet, right? Yeah. <laughs> so people are still calling me up to want to get their wedding videos done. And uh, I used to make amazing, beautiful wedding videos, just jerks the tears right out. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is a, not a very profitable thing. It's a very demanding relationship between the producer and the client. And the stakes are pretty high if you mess up. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, uh, you know, the cons and the pros are pretty clear and, and I don't do wedding videos anymore. <laughs> so yeah. for your agency, what are some of the, your favorite tools or for you personally while working in the agency, what are some of your favorite tools? That's a great question. Um, Trello is the project management platform that I live and breathe daily. Um, it's a very simple Kanban type uh, project management system with columns and cards. So you've got different phases like backlog to do, doing, in process, done. Uh, and you create tasks and you move them from left to right, from doing to done. And um, it's really good in, in project management and in the way my mind works, but also in communication. So what's funny that I find with a lot of companies is, is they always have kind of a standalone chat interface. So a lot of people use Slack. Um, Some people use Stride or Google Chat and stuff like that. 
but Trello has a nice comment interface. And why would you go into Slack and say, remember the project where we're three rounds in, I'm talking about version A of the graphic design for the banner, B placement, um, the upper right-hand corner of that, I need you to change the blue to the green, right? Why would you do that in a chat if you can just go into the project in the task and say, here's the attachment, change the upper right-hand corner blue to green? You just simply by taking it inside of the project task itself, eliminate all the need to describe everything else. It's a contextual conversation. So I like Trello for, for those reasons. And I'm just a big fan of Google Drive and the Google Suite. You know, um, Collaborative creativity is the way the world works, right? So from project strategy and writing, either in a Google Doc, a spreadsheet, or Google Slides, to invoicing um, or uh, proposal crafting, and finally into to file version storage and transferring and sharing, it's a beautiful little thing. I'm not the only person that likes it, of course, because Google is a huge beast, but um, I find it nice to have it all in the same place. Yeah, they are, they are still a huge beast. And do you still use Google for advertising for your kind of pay-per-clicks and sponsored ads? We do. Um, and it's interesting, you know, we've, you're, you're an Amazon guy. We've done a lot of um, Amazon marketing and Facebook marketing. Uh, but for some reason, Google is still the pay-per-click and the retargeting that we've been able to do on Google just continually dwarfs everything else that we've tried. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't stopped doing that other stuff because it's always good to diversify those channels in our opinion. But man, it is a hard thing to argue with when, when they, you know, and their platform for reporting that data is really, uh, it's really pretty incredible too. So yeah, the answer is a big yes. Yeah, no, I, I really like Google too. You know, before Facebook was the big beast that it is today for when it comes to advertising, Google, of course, was a powerhouse at the time and everybody was on Google. But even back then, there was a lot of chances to lose money by, mm. or waste money on, on wrong, wrong keywords. And I remember probably, I don't know, man, it's probably 2007 or something, Neil Patel explaining that the keyword strategy that he had on his AdWords and it would be, for example, instead of targeting high heel shoe, he would use not use those kind of broad keywords and put red uh, high heel shoe something something. Denver, Colorado, right? Yeah. 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 So that means when you actually type that, you're not just looking to picture of a red shoe to save as and use as homework for a project. You're actually looking to buy... A uh, bread high heel shoe, right uh, under fifty bucks, whatever. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, but since then, I started using that technique, all long tails, and with with buying intent. I was trying to find buy intent, put on those keywords, and it, it works magic. So, if you're only paying for the ones that are actually trying to buy something, that it, it becomes a huge or a very profitable, right? Totally. And, and I think you touched on something that is at the cornerstone of what we preach as brand strategists at Vitals, which is know what you're trying to do. Don't make a pretty picture because it's pretty. Don't make a beautiful video because it's beautiful. Know your users. And like you said, know what you want them to do. You are literally from top to bottom funnel 
making sure that the CTA is by intent, right? That's what you said, by intent. Yes. Um, and so we have a proprietary discovery process. It's, a, it's almost like a workshop. Well, it is a workshop. It's a two-day session that we conduct for new clients when we onboard them. Um, it's expensive. Um, but what we do is we roll up four hours each day and we diagnose where they're at with their current users, right? We figure out who they're trying to serve, how they've been trying to serve them, and then we dig into their psychographics. Who else do they listen to? What kind of voice and tone do they respond to best? What kinds of look and feel do they respond to best, right? And we use that to inform every single uh, piece of collateral, strategic campaign, um, and it's always fo focused on knowledge of who these users are, what makes them tick, and how to get them to do what you want, you know? Um, and obviously, what, what the best thing to do is, is to find the alignment, to find the thing that serves you by serving them. So if you've got a product that betters their life and they can pay for it, you benefit by getting money, they benefit by bettering their lives. And that's, uh, that's the way I believe the economy ought to turn, and I think it does mostly. Um, so so if, you can, if you can figure that stuff out and get that by intent in, literally the first thing they see, there's no surprises. People don't feel like they're tricked. And they value you and they appreciate that. And in our experience, that's how you build really, really solid brand loyalty. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Brand loyalty is like... It, it's, it's so a, hard to build. It's so easy to break. <laughs> so tell me something on your agency, um, Vitals Agency, you are not... Um, you, you're still finding more, more clients, correct? For yourself? Yep. Mm-hmm. What kind of strategies are you uh, using now to generate more leads into the business? It's a great question. Uh, we, for a long time, and we still, to some degree, have this strange struggle where, in the beginning, we weren't careful about exactly what I just said. We didn't target our users specifically. And as a result, we have two audiences right now. We have an audience of or well, our ideal client, the people that we actually do creative services for, they don't find us online, right? These are the people, multi-billion dollar venture-backed tech startups don't search Google for creative brand strategy, <laughs> you know? Um, but these people send their C-suite marketing uh, strategists to conferences, right? So we go to conferences to find clients. We're going to HubSpot's inbound conference coming up here in September. We've gone to that conference for years now. We really love it. We're always looking for, for other cool conferences. And it's referral and word of mouth based. It's, it's strange. It's hard to scale it. But the other thing is we're structured in our agency where we're going for quality, not quantity. We do high deal, high ticket relationships and, and retainer contracts instead of low-ticket churn-and-burn products. We tend to, our strategy as it stands, is to build a foundation of clients like that and then focus our marketing and digital spend and all of our content strategy around our second audience, which is the creative entrepreneur trying to do what we're doing, right? Yes. So this is, where, this is where Fizzle comes in perfectly because we found that the majority of the people that come to our site that read our blogs have they work for other agencies. They came out of art school and they're trying to get their site up and figure out how to build their clients and how to sell and, you know, how to do our kinds of discoveries, how to do our kinds of user profiling, how to do our kinds of postmortems, right? Um, how to, how to, how to buy our yellow shoes, <laughs> <laughs> rattling off the products on our site right now. But, um, so what we do is we, we teach and we educate via our free content and solve real problems and equip 
our audience with weapons for their clients in the form of our info products in our store. So um, what's tough though is obviously, you know, it's going to take a long time to build revenue from the info product thing to ever compete with the foundation of retainer clients, but that's the long game, right? So keep writing, keep podcasting, keep teaching, keep educating, keep making courses. And all the while, um, pushing digitally with our ad spends and our other kind of organic methods to get traffic and sales up on that front. And eventually we'll, we'll see a little bit of a flippening, hopefully where, um, where all of a sudden we have a recurring revenue stream from our info products and we're less reliant on our clients. And I think that's kind of the only way to really scale a service business without continually adding team members, you know, which we're really not interested in. Yeah. I really like that. And I like the fact that you did not mention uh, scraping LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Are you, did you see what I posted recently or are you just also frustrated? No, I'm also frustrated, but I did see that uh, you replied to one of those emails. Yeah. That I've, I, I mean, this is my new game. I think um, is figuring out like kind of, kind of angry professional ways to respond to people. (laughs) Um, and yeah, let me, can I read, can I read what I yes, wrote recently? Yes, okay. Hold on. Let me find it. Um, yeah, but uh, it fits perfectly into a show I did about probably a month ago uh, on my other podcast where I grouped together all the emails that I got randomly right. uh, that had been scraped from LinkedIn. Some that really didn't even have my name right. And normally oh, those man. are populated by a bot. So right. Right. That's not even that somebody. Wrong. Gosh. And, uh, yeah. And some of the replies I, I, uh, what I replied to them. So I did a podcast about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awful, man. I, I really, I, it frustrates me quite a bit, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, the truth is, is, is like, I have to be gentle because the truth is this is a strategy that does work. It's a numbers game strategy. It's a churn and burn. It's a scorched earth campaign and those work. I don't like them and I wish the world wasn't this way, but they work, you know, because for every angry guy that goes out of his way, like me or you to write an email about why we don't appreciate this, there is somebody falling for it. There's somebody saying, Oh, you found me, you found me via LinkedIn and you you see the stuff that I'm doing and you think it's interesting. Tell me more, you know, (laughs) Um, there's people that, and it works. So, um, and the truth is there are good products behind the campaigns that are getting into the hands of people who need it, I believe. So I don't want to be too angry, but that being said, here's what I wrote. (laughs) Um, So this was, I think the sixth, yeah, it was the sixth email from a guy. I won't mention his name. And I said, um, Hey blank. I'm not interested and do not appreciate cold emails. Having had my address scraped from LinkedIn, you've sent me six emails. Please only send me one more confirming you understand and respect my wishes to receive no further communication. If you would like to include a budget for what you'd pay to have a consult on the betterment of your email marketing strategy, you may do so. (laughs) Um, So, because I do believe this is the fizzle thing, man. It's value first. It's, you know, don't disrespect somebody's, somebody's email inbox. I did not give you my email address. You don't have an unsubscribe button. That's Mm. illegal. That is illegal. Yeah. 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 So, so I could flag them. I'm not going to report as abuse. I'm just going to send these funny little emails, I think. Um, and, and the truth is, is if on LinkedIn, if your offer is compelling, and I've gotten a couple, um, and actually I'll, I'll give a shout out to this guy. I forget his name, but 
it was funny. It caught my attention. His second follow-up email is what got me, right? His first, his first one was kind of the same thing, like, hey, thanks for connecting. Um, I see you're in this space. I do this. I think we could connect and, and talk about other things. And that always means I have something to sell you. His second email said, well, it appears as though the same thing that happened to my friend just happened to you. He got abducted by aliens last week. I haven't seen him since. How are things up there? Question mark. And I'm like, all right, I'll bite. (laughs) And so I can appreciate lightheartedness. I can appreciate humor and cleverness, man. You, You tell me something that makes me think I'm in. But if it's just the same old three paragraph, hey, I think we could help each other nonsense. I have a, I'm going to jump down your throat, you know? Are you open to other uh, profitable opportunities or something like that? Join that's my it. MLM. That's, that's, that's the yeah. sign-off, man. <laughs> you know what? I wanna, there was one that caught me mm-hmm. uh, as well. I, I can't remember word by word what it said, but it was kind of like that one. So I had the first just introduction email. Hey, nice. Thank you for the connection, whatever. Pleasure to meet you. Sure. And then a few days later, he sent one. He's like, oh, by the way, if you thought I wasn't going to try to sell you something, uh, you're wrong. I am. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love the honesty because right. we all know when you get an email, you all know you're going to be sold, right? Some, something has to be. Just don't right? lie to me, man, you know? Exactly. So, uh, you know, we're going to try to offer value, try to build a relationship. We know the strategy. And no, he went straight to, uh, if you think I'm not going to try to sell you something, you're wrong. Uh, I am. And here it is, blah, blah, blah. And he was straight to the point and so honest. And I replied, like, I love the honesty. I'm, right. I actually may use that myself. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what, what I'm noticing is a trend in every kind of advertising and marketing. And I think that's what Google is optimizing for now um, is kind of what you're talking about. And I mentioned this a little bit a while ago. I did this big presentation. There was a, a cookie company. We love these guys in New Zealand. It's one of our first big consulting gigs. We went hey, out. Sorry, um, it's literally a cookie company? Yeah, it's called okay. Cookie Time. Um, and they are something like the Nabisco of cookies in New Zealand. Yeah. And the, the you know the, the 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 people that own this company and that run this company are just like some of the finest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. They flew us out, had us give keynote presentations to their marketing team in their factory floor, and then gave us a tour of the factory. And we were eating cookies off their conveyor belt. It was amazing. And then they took us bungee jumping and helicopter riding uh, on a glacier. So I mean, <laughs> we're trying to trying to trying to get some more relationship building with them. Um, but. Uh, I did our keynote presentation was the evolution of marketing, right? And looking into the into the Middle Ages, right? When it was people didn't even really know that they could lie to each other. It was you have this, I have this. If it's a win-win, we can trade. Then quickly thereafter, people started realizing that you could trick people, right? People started realizing that I could have this thing that looked like this thing that you would value and I could give it to you and I could get away before you realized it. And uh, there was no leaving a negative feedback on Facebook to <laughs> scare <laughs> these people up. Um, so, so for a long, long, long time, you could be pretty successful and, uh, and avoid many of the consequences being dishonest in marketing and in advertising, right? So with display advertising in, in kind of like the 40s, 50s, and 60s and traditional advertising and radios and televisions and billboards and, and magazines, um, 
you started getting, you weren't able to lie anymore, but the personality, the personability dropped off. You were casting wide nets. You didn't really have any way of measuring your metrics, um, figuring out what campaigns were doing well. And if you did, they were really downstream and you weren't sure how many variables um, were part of the success or failure, right? Yeah. Then in the 80s and 90s, we saw this telemarketing advent, right? Where it was just like this horrible, and I was part of it, and I take full responsibility. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> uh, in the fierce and relentless obnoxiousness of telemarketing, because not only was this like a direct, it's the same thing that's going on with this direct message thing. They've got a direct line to your most intimate time, right? Usually, when you're at home, this is the days uh, of landlines, right? Yes. People call when you're at dinner and they yammer on about something and probably be lying to you about it, right? So it was like dishonest, manipulative, and obnoxious. Um, and so obviously, that's, um, that's something that people don't like. But again, it was found valuable in terms of it being a numbers game. And for people that did not care about marketing, I'm sorry, didn't care about reputation, um, they could do that. But now it's hard to not have a scarlet letter emblazoned on you wherever you go. So you have to pick your methods mm-hmm. well, right? You have to be very strategic. Negative reviews don't go away. You can't, and there's reputation management, but that'll only go so far to pump, bump you down to the second page of Google if your tactics are dishonest or silly, right? So what's happening right now is the, the conventional methods of advertising on Facebook and Google are no longer rewarding this kind of dishonesty. And us as consumers are starting to wise up too. So it's kind of cool to be in marketing, in my opinion, in this time uh, in the world because it has to be a win-win. You have to be creative. You have to be clever. And if you're succeeding, it's probably because you're serving people. How cool is that? You know, yeah. um, I'm stoked on that. So there's still a lot of the weirdness. Um, people will always try the tactics, but it's getting harder and harder to get away with it. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, it is super hard now to get away with. Yeah, you know better than anybody else, man, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yes, and still on Amazon, the internal system we can use for, for pay-per-click is still very easy because the product is already there. So you're advertising a product that is already for sale on Amazon. So it, there's not much that you on a pay-per-click campaign that you can even uh, mislead about mislead, right? It's, right. This is the picture of the product. This is the keyword that you search for, and I'm going to target you for that. So that one is still is still very very easy to to maintain. But still, any any product that, that's related to weight loss, anything that can have potential claims is just anywhere, right? right. Amazon, Facebook, Google. It's just so hard to be able to say certain words that trigger a negative connotation, even through algorithms alone, not even, not even just a person. And then you have just, you know, and, and the darkness is that when you have something like that, the way you sell your product is you back it up with peer reviews, right? And that that was for, at one point, really, you know, a, a weapon in the arsenal of the of the do-gooders like me to, to mm-hmm. get the testimonials and to feature the testimonials. But as we know, there are bot armies out there that are being mobilized by very, very incentivized large world institutions to create false personas in the, in the, in the thousands. Um, and so 
you know, when we're not talking about political agendas um, and we're simply talking about products that can be spoofed too. You know, you can spoof, you can spoof enough five-star reviews to bury, um, to bury the real negative feedback if, yes. if you can do that. So there's still loopholes that'll, that hopefully will get closed up. Um, what's exciting though, is that the platforms um, that are, that are you, that everybody's using to market their products or sell their products, it's in the platform's best interest to put that stuff uh, to bed, you know, to, to actually get rid of that stuff and cut the cancer out. So that's kind of cool too, is that, is that the, the, <laughs> the forces of good are aligned, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I get approached by a lot of people that, that want to offer the kind of services. And when it comes to Amazon businesses, it doesn't matter if it's mine or my clients, I will not touch anything that is black hat, of course, not, sure. not only pure, pure white hat, nothing, no gray, nothing. And when it comes to external platforms, I, you know, the, the, I could accept if there's something that is not black hat, but is somewhat, it's not in the terms, just like, you know, uh, getting away with a Facebook campaign with the word fat loss. If you could get away with that, I, I wouldn't mind that. Right? right. That's not really black hat. It's just being able to get away with it. Right. Just, they've cracked down a little too hard on that, perhaps, you know? Just last week, somebody contacted me. Uh, they wanted to see if I wanted Facebook advertising. And they told me, we can create 2,000 Facebook accounts, advertising accounts per day. 2,000 Facebook ad accounts per day because they were getting banned that quick and they were creating so they about to figure 2, out a way to, uh, yeah. So I'm terrifying. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. It wasn't really, it wasn't people's accounts. It was ad accounts. Right. Um, that is so insane. And just, How? Amount of, yeah. I guess it is bought. So there's not too much work involved, but still. Right. On. Well, that has to be the same. It's just a downstream of the same thing because you can't create multiple ad accounts on a single user profile that has been banned from the ad account. So mm-hmm. it has to be at the beginning. It has to be users too. Users, users, and then ad accounts, you know. Um, and it sounds better because you're like, oh, well, it's not user accounts. It's just the ad accounts. It's like, yeah, they'll probably make you an admin uh, with yeah. all the privileges. But um, ooh, ooh. still, okay, there's still evil in the world. Our work is not done. That's what that means. <laughs> That's okay. Because I'm ready and willing to fight. So, Aiden, uh, let us know. Let everybody here that's listening, if they want to find you in Vitals Agency, The Fizzle Show, where do they go to find this? Yeah, um, I'd suggest hitting us up at vitals.agency, www.vitals.agency. No .com here. Um, also, if you want to hear me rant and rave about building a business, um, with some other people that are really inter- entertaining when they rant and rave, um, go to fizzle.co um, or just simply search The Fizzle Show on your podcast app of choice. And then finally, I think maybe I'll put this out there just so that I can motivate myself a little bit, but I have a personal blog where I really get weird. If you want a little weirdness, I, I didn't give you too much of that, but I live the examined life, I think. And um, I'm just always learning. I don't have any answers. Um, and if you want to join me for that weird journey, you can go, you can go to megafishbein.com, M-E-G-A-F-I-S-H-B-E-I-N.com. That's my personal blog. And hopefully I can get some time and energy to, uh, to start updating that regularly because it's, it's really fulfilling. Um, and that's, that's something that doesn't have any asks involved. There's no products associated. So 
you know that it's uh that it's just pure goodness. So there you that's go. That. So you can check that one out, Mega Fishbine, and you just yeah. did something that I love doing too, is kind of putting myself in the line when sure you know there's something I should do more, and then if you announce it publicly, you know publicly. No, you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, because I definitely, what did we just discover? I don't like being a liar or a hypocrite, so <laughs> I got to do it now. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah. Hey, it's been fun, man. This has yeah. been super fun. Man, thank you so much for being here. It's, it's always fun talking to you. Yeah, cool. Well, another time then. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.